Hi there, you're listening to the Next Level Podcast, powered by ShineNow. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Next Level Podcast, a podcast that we invite guests to share with us their journeys, their insights, their tips on what made them go to the next level. So with me today is Leonard Yong, one of the most celebrated, I would say, Food people <laughs> on Instagram. Welcome, Lenit, to the Next Level Podcast. That's very nice to meet you, Joel. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks everyone for tuning in. And I wouldn't call myself one of the most celebrated by any means. <laughs> I, yeah. I say one, I say one. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So if okay. you say it, it's fine, but I can't say <laughs> it. All right, are we ready to talk about politics today? No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I specifically asked not to be part of that discussion. Of course yeah. not. Okay, so so we'll keep politics another day. But for this podcast specifically, I want to talk to you about your journey in pursuing your passion because I think um, most people, I think, would be quite familiar with that story. But I kind of want to dig deep uh, and ask you about like what your thought processes were, um, what what was going through your head when you were making certain decisions. You know, how did people around you react? How did you react? And whether or not you had any tips or regrets, you know, uh, looking back on, on that journey so far. So let's start with uh, like, you know, what you studied, because I think everybody in Singapore has that like the same journey where we all started studying something that we that we liked or, you know, thought would be beneficial to our career. So what was your background like? So I, I think my, my education started a little bit differently from most Singaporeans because I actually left to study in the States when I was 16, 17 at the time. Okay. Honestly, it's very difficult to figure out what you want to do at that stage of your life. Yeah. Honestly, I think even when you're much older in your 20s, you still might not know what you want to do. But back then, I guess like Asian parent kind of mentality, my mom wanted me to either do like engineering or business. And I still remember I had a meeting with one of her bosses, which he's obviously much more knowledgeable than I am. And he said that you don't have to study business to be a businessman. And I... I kind of resonated with that. So I, yeah, I studied engineering for four years. I basically was horrible at it. I hated uh, studying engineering, but when I did graduate, I did feel a huge sense of accomplishment. Okay. Because I think that, like, your destination is nothing without the struggle. And every day was a struggle, you know? Yeah. On hindsight, I was very glad that I did engineering because although I don't use a lot of the things that I learned at the time, I think it's taught me a very uh, systematic thought process, which helps me to become more organized in the kitchen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's like a, a common theme in my life has always been like, you end up where you need it to be, but not through the way that you thought it would. Understood. Yeah. Now, before you went into food, right? So after you graduated, I know that you worked in the engineering field. Correct. Um, and then you quit to join like Master Chef Asia, yeah. right? So what made you... You know, you were two years in, right, into the career. I was about three years in. Three years. Yeah. So three years is a long time, right? Yeah. And so not everyone would be three years into their career and saying that like, okay, let's switch, you know? So yeah. what made you say, yes, I'm going to make that switch? I think it was more like, at that point in time, it was more like a push factor because I was in a job that I felt I was wrong for. Okay. <laughs> and literally all day at work, I would just daydream about doing something else. Right. And... I have had many hobbies over the years, but like food and cooking has been the only one thing that really stuck. And it's more like I didn't have many other options if I did want to switch career. So I would, I remember like I would sit at my desk and I would just daydream about the dishes that I would make on the weekend. Okay. And like having MasterChef come about was just like a golden opportunity for me because I didn't have many contacts in the food industry. And I was already growing a bit older at that stage, like starting your career in the kitchen if you're not starting in like your late teens or early 20s, you're, it's probably already like getting a bit too late for you. Right. So I felt like 
MasterChef would be a way to like jumpstart that. Mm. Yeah. Did you see an ad for for auditions? Like, how did that come about? The opportunity. Yeah, they were doing a like casting call auditions uh, on Facebook, and I had an Instagram at the time, and like people were already asking me, like pushing me, like, "Hey, why don't you go sign up?" Yeah, I guess like they they planted the idea in my head, and somehow it manifested into something that I was like, maybe I should, and then I went ahead and I did it. Yeah. So just to be clear, when you joined a competition, you had no formal training in 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 cooking. No, I have never had formal training. Okay, so then my question to you is like, in that position, a lot of people will be like, I don't know if I can join a competition, nor, you know, perhaps like this idea of like imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. So like, what made you go like, I think I can do this? I mean, I already had imposter syndrome in my engineering jobs. <laughs> it wasn't a huge deal for me. To be honest, like I've been very introverted my whole life. I, I've been quite a shy person. And looking back, it was actually quite a big step for me to actually join a cooking competition where, you know, there's like cameras around and it's a very high pressure environment because you're literally in a competition. But at that stage of my life, I felt a little bit trapped. Mm -hmm. You know, I had done three years of engineering. I had switched around different roles within the engineering company, but I didn't really feel I fit in in any of the three roles that I did. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to try something else. And I think that was like the push I needed to just dive straight in, even though joining a cooking competition was completely out of my comfort zone. But I'd say in the last 10 years of my life, everything, the best things that have come, have always come from when I push myself above and beyond what I thought I could do. Right. Yeah. At the end of that competition, did you have like a single thought of when, after the competition concluded for you? I don't know how much I can say <laughs> on a live stream, but I think I left, uh, I left MasterChef feeling a little bit scarred by the experience. Okay. Um, without going too deep into the details, I think at the end of the day, you're not there to learn how to become a better chef or a better cook. You're literally there to make a TV show for them. Mm -hmm. And I guess looking back now, I went in with very naive expectations because I didn't have many contacts in the food industry. I was trying to get better at cooking. So I thought that I would learn from all these judges and I would improve my, my technique and my skills. But when you reach... When you're in the, the situation, you're actually not. You're just there to make as entertaining a TV show for them as possible. That kind of left me with this mentality where I had trouble trusting people. Right. Yeah. Wow. Was that why after the show you went back into engineering? So after the show, I spent about like four or five months kind of like part-timing. I, I worked at this bar and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to move into food or not. My biggest fear at that point of time was that I the defining reason was probably because I didn't have enough savings. Okay. And I knew that if I transitioned into the food industry, you're basically going to start at the very bottom where the pay is, I don't want to swear, but the pay is very <laughs> bad. Um, you're working like basically six days a week for like 12, 14 hours a day. You don't see your family or your friends because on holidays, that's when you're probably going to be called back to the restaurant. And I had spent a bit of time part-timing in restaurants. So I knew that this was the world that I was going to get myself into. And I was worried that if I felt that it wasn't for me at the end, I would have very little to fall back on. Right. And I, yeah, I didn't feel I had enough savings for that. So I went back to engineering. So when you went back into engineering, was it kind of like a, let me save up so that I can go back into food? Or was it like a, let me leave food on, on pause right now? I actually wasn't planning. I was just telling, I have this thing where like, if I'm in a situation where I need help, I will kind of tell people, hey, you know, I'm jobless. <laughs> like if you have anything, <laughs> let me know. But I say it in like a joking way, but I know that people at the back of their mind, they will keep me there so that if 
the opportunity arises and they feel like I'm a right fit, they will let me know. So I actually just went into this engineering interview because one of my friend's dad was looking for an engineer and I went in with no expectations. I didn't do any research on a company at all. But when they told me what the salary was, this was like more than double what I was getting right. uh, previously. Right. And uh, it was just a number that I, I really couldn't say no to. Like I said, I mean, my motivation to go back to engineering was just to have a bit more savings. Yeah. So I took it. Nice. And then, <laughs> okay, I mean, facts, right? Like, it's just reality. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just want to say that, like, it's very easy to call people out for, like, not keeping it real or all these kind of things, but you don't know what people's backgrounds are. So it's very easy to make these kind of judgments. And even, like, when I see people doing stuff that I don't necessarily agree with, I, I respect the hustle, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, if you're, if you're poor, you don't have a lot of options. Yeah. And that's the reality of, of the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, at the point whereby, you know, you went into this new job. Now, you're telling me that it has an attractive salary and also, like, it's something that you can say yes to. Then why go back into the food industry, like, after that? So, I did engineering for about two more years. And that was, like, I was reaching, like, my late late 20s. And I felt that I still wasn't happy, <laughs> even though I had more money. So, I in my first engineering job, I, I always felt that, like, oh, if I was better compensated, that would be, like, that would solve all the problems that yeah. I had. But then I got a better paying job and I was still unhappy. So I started to think like, maybe I just need to try this food thing out okay. once and for all. And I remember when I quit, I gave myself two years. And I said that if I really can't make a career out of something in the food world, I would go back to engineering. And I did have enough savings to kind of like tide me over, yeah. over the next two years. Nice. Yeah. So what was that opportunity? Did that opportunity come knocking or did you look for it? I actually didn't quit into anything. I, I quit with nothing, no next step planned. Wow. But I also felt that I had built up enough context in the food industry for the last two years that I would always have something to do. It may not be the best thing, but I would at least have something to do. And that was that alleviated my fears. So basically for the next like six months, I, I was just part-timing in friends' restaurants I was earning like close to nothing, but I was happier than I, than I had ever been in my entire life. Wow. Yeah. A bold statement to make for sure. A lot of people, when they're given that opportunity to say, okay, I'm in a like financially comfortable spot and then wanting to jump into a passion with no, like I would say financial security in that sense, like they wouldn't take that leap, right? But for you, you did. And where was your headspace at when you did that jump? I mean, I, I'm not a impulsive person. I, I always, yeah. especially like big decisions, I always think them through. And I had been thinking about this for a long time. I mean, if I was really, truly very impulsive, I would have jumped into uh, the food world after MasterChef. But I went back to engineering because I felt like I didn't have enough savings. So where my headspace was at, I mean, I, I still was very worried about whether I could make this work or not. But I, I think my biggest fear was that I would stick with engineering and then like when I'm in my 40s or 50s I would look back and regret or like ask myself why didn't I try at the very least and I just wanted to try for at Mm. least two years got it nice so now that we've explored like kind of like your personal thoughts um, after this break I want to talk to you a little bit more about how the people around you reacted to you know all these different decisions that you made we'll be right back Hey Google, I know you have an exciting announcement to make. What is it? Hello everyone. Get your tickets for Shine Now 2020 on the 28th to 29th of November. Awesome! 
All right, welcome back, guys. So, Leonard, we were just talking about like the decisions that you made in terms of like making a big switch in your career. Yeah. It is a personal decision that no one should be able to like, you know, object or whatever. Yeah. But then, of course, in an Asian society like ours, there's going to be family expectations, yeah. friends' expectations as well. How did your family react to, you know, that switch? My mom is basically like the, the person that like gels the family together. So okay. if I had her approval, I would have everyone's approval. Especially because she's the one that kind of like put me through my college education. By the fact that I had given like engineering a chance for five years, I think she basically, she gave me a blessing, which was very important to me. But we are kind of like, like you said, we're a very Asian family. We don't talk about our feelings. We don't <laughs> talk about difficult topics and stuff like that. So for the longest time, I always, at the back of my head, I always kind of knew that she was fine with it. Yeah. But earlier this year, I did a interview with a Channel 8 show where they also asked me about my, my story and they actually wanted to interview my mom. And I was standing there, she was getting interviewed and the interviewer asked her how she felt about me switching careers and she she literally just said like, you know, like the stuff that I already knew. Yeah. I always thought I knew, but she basically said like, you know, I'm very proud of him. I didn't think he could make it, but he did and he's carved a, a decent career out for himself. And at the back of my head, I, I knew that this is probably how she felt, but I never had the affirmation until then. And it actually made me quite emotional because to actually hear her say it, even though it was in Mandarin and my Mandarin's not great, I knew what she was saying. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was like quite a defining moment for me where I was like, I'm glad that she, she felt that I made the right choice. Nice. Yeah. Even though it's always been clear for me from the first day that I did make the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. When you said that, you know, you had your mom's approval in, in your perspective, it's like, how did you know? Like, was it just like a vibe? Or did you have a conversation? No, right? Uh, we didn't talk about this, but basically I was, in my first job, I was actually a scholar. Okay. And I didn't serve out my bond. Right. So we had to pay back. We had to break the bond and pay, pay it back. And I needed my mom's help at, at the point of time. And it was not a small sum of money. So that was a way <laughs> of showing her support by helping me pay for it. Yeah. Well, how did you have that? even approach that conversation with your mom to be like, hey mom, I, I think I want to break this bond. I always thought of quitting because from day one, like okay. I said, I, I, I didn't <laughs> feel like that place was the right place for me. But there were many other factors because my mom actually works in the same company and she has had, she's worked there in one company her whole life. Yeah. And it would, I was more worried for her that she would, I would embarrass her if right. I had broken the bond. Right. Um, so literally MasterChef coming was like the perfect excuse because right. it was a legitimate reason for me to leave the company. Yeah. And the filming of MasterChef took about two entire months. So no company would allow you to leave for two right, months right, just right. to go film a TV show. So that was like, yeah, it was like the perfect storm where we had this legitimate reason and then we used that to bring it up to HR and everything. And then we we started, we got the process started. Nice. Yeah. Now, um, so the, on your family and I think it went pretty Quite, quite smoothly. Yeah. What about your friends? Like, were your friends, I would think that because you studied engineering, most of your friends would be from the engineering world. Would I be right or no? Uh, not really. I think most of them are like bankers, okay. auditing, a few others here and there. But they are, I think they're mostly like white collar professionals. Mm -hmm. So back then I used to play soccer with them, like maybe once or twice, uh, once or once every two weeks. I think they would always be very curious about my journey because I deviated so far from what was the norm. Yeah. And they were always genuinely curious about oh, how things are, you know, like where are you cooking, all these kind of questions. But always like somehow the conversation would turn into when they talk about their career or their, their how much they're earning. And even though I was very happy after quitting uh, my engineering job, I hearing these topics kind of made me feel like a little bit of doubt, you know, yeah. 
Like, damn, these guys are earning so much. And here I am basically earning close to nothing. But that's also when I, I think my friend circle began to shift a little bit. I started to hang out with people who understood my choices a bit more. I hung out, hung out with this guy who now owns a restaurant, but I used to work for like Apple. And he gave okay. up a very high paying job to, to start a restaurant. He could spend more time with his kid, spend more time with his family, spend more time with his friends. And he, he was the one that kind of taught me that if you use money as your litmus test, it's always going to be very black and white. But things are not always black and white. You know, what you lose in terms of monetary value, you gain in terms of time, friendships, relationships. And that kind of put me at ease with my decision. Was it a conscious thing to be switching your friend group or was it kind of like a natural process? It was very natural because like I just felt more comfortable or happier when I hang out with uh, friends like that, you know, because right. they, they understand what you've been through or mm-hmm. what you are going through. And they can either give you advice or just, you know, tell you how they are feeling. Even like just talk, hearing them talk about their experiences just made me feel like the path was the right one. Understood. Yeah. Now, you spoke a bit about advice. So I want to ask, also you said that, you know, having contacts in the food industry is important. So if there's someone who wants to enter this industry, like what are some tips you can give them on how to even begin? I mean, this advice is generic to any industry, I think. Sure. Uh, I think you shouldn't dive hit in. <laughs> I always use this analogy where like you should always dip your toes into the water and feel whether it's the right temperature for you or not because everyone's background is different. If you have infinite resources, yeah, you can jump in, try for a year and fail and you'll be fine. But it, it's very hard to give like advice to everyone because everyone's situation is different. But for me, like before I actually went into the food world, I had I would spend weekends working in restaurants while I still held my engineering job. I would speak to professionals and, and find out what life is really like because, you know, I think with all the, the boom of food and, you know, all these kind of new TV shows out there, it paints a very glamorous picture of the food world. But in reality, it's, again, I don't want to swear, but it's not glamorous at all. Okay. Um, like I said, it's very long hours. It's uh, very low pay. And it's, yeah, you need to know what you're getting yourself into, not just with food, but with any industry. So I always tell people, if you really like something enough, you would just spend your weekends trying it out and not just like cooking at home. Cooking at home is very different from cooking in a restaurant. So just volunteer to work in a restaurant for a weekend. Understood. You know, get a feel for things and what, yeah, what life is really like in the real world. So what is it actually like in the in the food world? Like what, what can you expect? You know, because you're saying that um, it's different from cooking it from home, right? Which is what I think people who don't really understand the food world would think is just cooking. So like for you, what are some of like the major differences? Like cooking in a restaurant versus cooking at home? Like the food industry, I would say. Like working in the, the yeah. food industry? Yeah. Like versus what's portrayed on TV? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think... As with anything, as with social media or as with TV, you only see the best parts. The highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. The highlight reel. But you don't know how much work or sweat or tears have gone into making those short snippets, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the food world. Because if you go to a restaurant and you eat as a diner, you're basically consuming something within five minutes, which may have taken like many, many hours to make. Off the top of my head, it's just, first of all, it's the long hours. There are many industries where you have to work long hours, like in yep. certain banks or as a doctor, you have to work very long hours. But you got to remember that when you're cooking in the kitchen, you're standing like 90% of the time and you're doing very similar actions with your hands. And all these things take a toll over the years, whether it's your ankles giving way or especially as like a hawker, you know, just like the flicking motion of your wrist to to knock off the water from noodles. 
that will eventually build into something much bigger because I know right. many hawkers that have issues with their wrists and their arms and, and whatnot. And, you know, the, the money isn't obviously isn't great. If you're, if you're starting out, you're probably going to be earning like 1,006, 1,008 a okay. month. Working hours much, much longer than anyone else. You're going to not be seeing your family for a long time because you're going to be leaving during the day and you're going to come back late at night. You're going to be working public holidays. Shall I continue? <laughs> <laughs> you're now in the food industry. So like, what does a day-to-day look like for you? I, I'm in a very unique position in the food industry because I'm currently working as a chef, but not in a restaurant. Okay. I work as an in-house chef for a company called Mila and we do kitchen equipment. Yep. The bulk of my work really is um, events. Okay. Whether it's like cooking classes or cooking demos or doing private dinners. And on my downtime, I test recipes for them so that I always have a constant stream of new things, whether I'm teaching or whether I'm cooking. So yeah, it, it is quite a flexible job in that sense. But I'm also very conscious that what I do is not truly indicative of what a regular chef does. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it also brings about like, you know, a fresh perspective of what like a chef can do uh, in a world, in today's world. So like, I want to put you on the spot a little bit, like in terms of other than being a chef at a restaurant or, or being a hawker, for example, like what other positions can someone with an interest in like cooking or, or food look at in the food industry? Oof, I don't like being put on the spot. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I mean, there's, there's usually like, you, you can be a food consultant, for example, if you want to open a, a restaurant or a cafe, but you want someone to plan the menu, like you can hire someone external to do up the menu and train your, your cooks. Um, but someone in that position would probably have to have built up a few years of experience. You can be a food instructor in a cooking school. You can be, I guess, like, a food influencer, like cooking influencer. <laughs> okay. You know, you can film videos and post it online. I didn't mean to laugh, by the way. It was just like a... Reaction. It was involuntary laugh. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as a career... Oh, I mean, you can be a home baker now. Like home, home bakes, yes. the, the business is absolutely booming. And I've ran the numbers. You can actually earn quite a lot if you, if you can produce enough. Is that something that you might consider in the future or no? If I lose my job, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't have a choice, right? Um, private dining is also huge. Obviously, now not now because of COVID and the restrictions are in place, mm-hmm. but I've seen people do very successful um, private dining from their own home. Yeah. yeah. So I guess there are a lot of opportunities today with like, you know, people who are interested in food. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, there are many, many ways to go about doing it. It's just uh, whether you can think of them and whether you can pull them off. Nice. All right. Thank you so much. So we're going to take a very, very short break and come right back. Hey guys, the Shine Now Youth Unconference is returning this year and the headliners will be announced really soon. Uh, I have a little hint on who will be one of the headliners this year. It will be everybody's favourite uncle. That's all I'll say. See you soon. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, Lynette, we've really looked back at your entire journey so far. Now, if you were to kind of like give your younger self, you know, cliche as it is, but like, <laughs> I'm sure that you've already kind of like gained all these different insights and whatnot into this industry. Now, be honest, okay, if you were to give your younger self advice, like, what would it be? I think even in this day and age, like, not that I'm wildly successful, but I think I've carved a decent enough career out of my choices or my career path. I still wonder if I could have done it earlier, like if I could have made the switch earlier. But I also think that like everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. I did learn a lot about myself in the two years that I went back to engineering. And I did spend a lot of that time building up food contacts, which I wouldn't be in my position today if I didn't have those contacts. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
in terms of advice, I I was very scared at every stage of the way. And I, I did a, a video for MCCY uh, a few months ago and I, I had I said this quote and the quote is from Dave Chappelle. And the quote goes as follows, is that you, it's okay to be afraid because you cannot be courageous without fear. Mm-hmm. The idea of being courageous is that in spite of being afraid, you simply do the right thing or you do what feels right. And that has been my experience with the career switch. I didn't feel like I was doing something. I didn't romanticize the idea of it. I didn't feel like I was riding off into the sunset, chasing my dreams and all that kind of stuff. I just did what I felt was right at the time. Was there one particular moment or an or an instance whereby you can pinpoint and say like, I'm very glad that I made that one move? If it's just one moment, it's when I actually tendered my resignation. Right. And, and you got to remember, I was, I was tendering into nothing. I didn't yeah. have anything lined up. So that was very scary. And I think you got to remember that like change is always scary, but sometimes yeah. very necessary, you know? Yeah. So like moving forward from where you are today, like do you kind of like have a, a long-term plan or where do you see yourself going? I hate this question. <laughs> I can see yourself squirming uh, yeah. in your seat. <laughs> um, I'm very happy with the job that I'm in now. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I do think that it's always important to have progress mm-hmm. or to think about what comes next. And even though there's nothing pushing me out of where I am now, I do want to improve and get better. So at the end of last year, I actually made a checklist of like things that I want to work on. Like one of them is public speaking because um, I mentioned just now that I'm, I'm very introverted actually. Yeah. And, you know, doing a lot of these things is very out <laughs> of my comfort zone. But I, I understand the value of it and I understand the value of like being able to speak well. Um, so that's something that I want to work on. And I think it's just um, it's just like checking in with yourself every few months or so just to make sure that like you are where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're not where you want to be, are you making those steps to be where you want to be? You know? Yeah. yeah. What are some steps that you've got yourself lined up for? Um, I mean, I was, I was supposed to attend like a public speaking course, but like that obviously didn't happen because of COVID. At the end of last year, I also felt like I wanted to do more TV stuff. So like okay. stuff like this. And I just wrapped filming for a Mandarin TV show. Whoa. Which you was just told me that you can't... excruciating. Yeah. Okay. Excruciating. But it was also very necessary because, I mean, if I turn all these things down because my Mandarin is not great, then I'll never do them. Right. And, and it's progress. The, la, yeah, the, the best way to learn is just to like put yourself out there. And even if you bomb, like you learn a little bit, you know, yeah. and then you get a, a little bit better each time. Yeah. And then hopefully they call you back for the next one. And uh, <laughs> maybe you're a bit better by then. All right. Yeah. Um, you're, you're already starting to give advice, which is I'm going to use as a segue to like my last segment. If you were to kind of give advice to young people today who want to pursue their dreams or their passions, like what are some tips that you can give them or like words of wisdom that you can share? I feel like I've just been doing that yeah, <laughs> for yeah, the yeah. last like 40 <laughs> minutes. Like I say, it's very hard to give generic advice because everyone's situation is a bit different. If you have infinite resources, I would say just try everything and yep. feel as many times as you want because, you know, the point of entry is there's nothing to lose, right? But if you don't have infinite resources, which is most people, I would assume, like I said, just be very rational about your choices. Dip your toes into the water. Don't quit and just jump into something without knowing what you're getting yourself into. Um, Because once you know or you have better context for the world that you're about to enter, you will, I think your mind basically just protects you by making all these precautions. Like for, for me, I had saved up for two years and that yep. was my safety net yep. of money. So I wouldn't have to depend on my, my parents because I, d- I wouldn't want to do that. 
Right. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Leonard. Oh, thanks for having me. That time just flew by. It's like almost an hour already, actually. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I just want you to maybe give yourself a little plug. So where can people find you on social media? Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I post most of my stuff. Uh, it's Leonard D. Uh, the, I'm not trying to be cute. The Y is my surname. So it's <laughs> Leonard, L-E-N-N-A-R-D-Y. Do people call you Leonard E? Yeah, they do all the time. All the time. Uh, <laughs> do you like it? No. It used to bother me, but, uh, <laughs> but not anymore. I mean, not many things bother me these days. It's just, you know, like some people don't know. So why get upset about it? Okay. So when people read your username, they, would, they should go Leonard Y, is it? Or Leonard E? Like I think Leonard E flows a bit better. Um, okay. I don't mind people using it as long as they know that the Y is not me being <laughs> cute. Because I, yeah, I've gotten that quite a few times before. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. If you want to follow Now Academy on Instagram, it's Now Academy SG. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Leonard, for coming to this Thanks episode. For me. I hope you enjoyed it. I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no stress, right? No, no, no not <laughs> okay. at all. All right. Thank you guys so much. Bye.